Hello, and welcome to episode one, our first real episode that actually focuses on Destiny lore and isn't an intro episode full of dialogue about how Destiny tells a story. My name is Rex, and I'll be your guide today as we navigate the often convoluted and ambiguous timeline of Destiny. We had several discussions about this and concluded that the timeline episode should probably be our first episode as it helps build a foundation for everything else to come. That way, whenever we talk about any lore-related event in the future episodes, you'll be able to think back to this podcast and know how said event fits into the narrative. Temporally, of course. We are joined here today by my co-host, Sav, who is a timeline expert himself. I'm going to not only be teaching our listeners about the history of Destiny, but also attempting to teach Sav some new things as well. Why don't you say hi to everyone, big guy? Hello, listeners. How are we doing today? Like I said, I know you're a bit of a timeline expert. I feel like you're going to know a lot of this, but how confident are you that you know the entire Destiny timeline? The entire timeline? Oh, gosh. Um, seven out of ten. Seven out of ten? Seven out of ten. Okay. I feel like that's pretty good. I feel like a seven out of ten is still way above the average of like your average player. Yeah. I mean, there's so much in the timeline. It it would make it very difficult to know absolutely everything. I mean, when I was building the script for this, I started doing my research and realized that there's a lot of stuff that I I knew about because I've read all the lore. So like these events popping up is not new to me, but what was new to me is when they happened in the timeline. I was like, Oh, that's when this happened. Like, I feel like a lot of pre destiny one stuff is kind of just jumbled in my head as it's just like, yeah, everything happened in that. It's just like a big dump of knowledge and no context as to where it goes and where it goes. And like, to be completely fair, even with the amount of research that I did, there's still a lot of it that's clumped together. Like you'll see when we get to certain ages that there's no, uh, there's no succession to these events. It's not like, you know, the battle of six fronts happened, you know, before we went to the reef. It's just that they all happened in the early parts of the city age. And like, obviously this is confusing and we'll get to that, but you'll see that a lot of this we don't have a lot of constraints as to when these happened in relation to each other, but hopefully we get an idea of a lot of the stuff as destiny lore moves forward. Um, obviously destiny has a lot of lore, and creating a comprehensive timeline that laid out every single event would result in probably a 10 hour long podcast episode. So we are instead going to go a little light on the detail to save some time and instead focus on just laying out the framework of the timeline so that we can refer back to this when we sink our teeth into it a little bit more in the future. So I'm going to kick things off with a question for you, Sav, and possibly for the listeners if you want to think about it. Based on what you know, what would you say is the first major event in the Destiny universe? What kicks us all off? Wow, that is a great question and one that I'm definitely prepared for, IMO. Uh, I think that I'd probably have to say the Books of Sorrow. And you would be wrong when you said that. You would be be wrong. But I... uh... See, this is funny because this is actually the second time that we're 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 recording this after some some script changes. And he originally had like very organically said the books of sorrow. 
And then I had corrected him with what I'm about to tell you. So I was wondering if when we did this, he was going to just be like, oh yeah, now I know the correct answer. But you know what? Props to you. I, you know, you stuck to your, you stuck to your guns. Stuck to my guns because I respect that. You know, you know, you, you never know. It. You never know. Because if you would have said what I'm about to say, I would have called you out. So I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad that we didn't have to do that in this podcast. So where does destiny begin? And destiny begins with unveiling. Unveiling is not an event, but it's a lore book that was released in the Shadowkeep expansion. It's told from the perspective of some darkness-related enigmatic figure that refers to itself as the Winnower, who is attempting to sway us to the philosophy of the darkness. While this particular bit of lore is stylized like every other lore book in the sense that it's a historical recollection, it's best to imagine that each entry is the darkness speaking directly to us in that current moment. Unveiling is essentially Destiny's creation myth, except it's not exactly a myth. It's more like a tale of two paracausal forces engaging in some metaphysical shenanigans that is anthropomorphized for our understanding. These paracausal forces are the light and the darkness. It's told with a slight bias towards the darkness, as it's obviously told by the darkness itself, but this is essentially where Destiny begins. You know, it was it was all fun and games until the big boys decided to wrestle in the garden. And uh, now because of that, I have to pay glimmer taxes and kill the hive. So thanks, guys. Really great of you to think of everybody else. This really sets the stage for Destiny and the next major events in the series. The light and the darkness have manifested themselves in the universe as the Traveler and the Black Fleet, respectively. And they're going to see who is the ultimate force of nature. At this point in our journey... Now that we've gotten out of the metaphysical abyss where time does not exist, we enter what is known as the ancient past. This is basically a catch-all term for a massive, boundless era of destiny that we don't really know the beginning of, but it encompasses a lot of events that are pertinent to the lore. This is where my answer lies. (laughs) This is where the answer lies. And that's why it's a good answer, because realistically, other than unveiling, you know, the Books of Sorrow is probably the next massive event that takes place. And it's one that takes place really, really, really early on in the Destiny universe. So like I said, the most important of these events is probably the Books of Sorrow to kick us all off. The Books of Sorrow describe the transcendence of the Osmium Sisters from their frail, krill bodies to the demigod status that they possess today. The Books of Sorrow deserve their very own episode to cover the amount of detail revealed in this lore book and do it justice, but just know that at this time, the Hive are being enslaved by the Worm, the worm Gods, sorry, and the Hive Sisters, Oryx, Sabathun, and Zebuarath, are becoming who they are today. Also, the traveler is already on the run from the darkness. And uh, this is a this is a great time to make a little little note for the listeners that uh, we do anticipate getting out a very juicy episode that includes the books of sorrow for hopefully the Christmas season. So I think keep that an would eye make out. I think that'd make a very good Christmas special. And I I feel so so bad. I feel so bad just glazing over it. I'm like, yeah, by the way, this is the Books of Sorrow because the Books of Sorrow was not only Destiny's first piece of real comprehensive lore that really like started building the world up, um, but it's also just like 
so interesting and includes so many cool side stories uh, as well as the main story. And you get to learn a lot about the hive. And, you know, for those of you who understand the books of sorrow, it, like regardless of the level of detail you understand it in, this is the, this is the place in the timeline where this kind of all takes place. Uh, for those of you who don't know what the books of sorrow is, you're going to have to wait till Christmas. Or do a little bit of reading on your own. But I would wait until Christmas. Why not? I feel like uh, Sav's very sexy podcast voice will do a better job of, uh, of reading it to you. Can't wait. So this brings us to the pre-Golden Age. And the pre-Golden Age happens some unknown time later. We Again, we don't really have an actual numerical constraint here. But sometime after the ancient past, we get to the pre-Golden Age. Not much is known about Earth or humanity around this time, but what we do know is that after fleeing the Hive homeworld, the Traveler has found refuge on a planet known as Reese, which is the homeworld of a species known as the Elixni, or the Fallen as we know them today. The Traveler is busy uplifting the Elixni, providing them with limitless ether and greatly accelerating the advancement of their society. So much so that the Elixni eventually come to revere the Traveler as a deity that they refer to as the Great Machine. However, this time of prosperity would soon end as a great calamity known as the Whirlwind would soon plague the planet of Reese. Not much is known of the Whirlwind, but we do know that a large portion of the Elixni and their home on Reese was destroyed and the Traveler had abandoned them. The remaining Elixni, now powerless and ravaged from the Whirlwind, leave their planet behind in pursuit of their god that had left them to die as it fled. And this is a really, really sad story, too. I mean, like, I know that we, and we'll get to this shortly, have a similar, I guess, kind of experience. But, like, the way you put that, man, that's just horrible. And I'm pretty sure we learned about this recently uh, in the current season as of this recording, which is a season of the uh the plunder we learn about this like long drift period which i feel like probably happens after yeah so the long drift happens like kind of between now when they uh you know when they do this mass exodus from their home world and take to the stars to chase the traveler down um it takes place from then all the way to when they arrive in the solar system and Oof. start uh and start engaging with humanity which we will get to in this timeline. But there is a great period um, kind of, of of nothingness for the Elixni here, and it is called the Long Drift. Um, this is not a spoiler by any means, but this whirlwind, uh, it was caused by the darkness, and um, we will see a pattern like this in events to come. Um, so uh, pretty, pretty sad. Pretty on sad a slightly... Boy. On a slightly less depressing note, around this time, the Cabal are off in their own system, forging a vast interstellar empire. They are led by Emperor Callus, who is a true hedonist who believes in the power of good vibes, partying, and drinking a mysterious purple wine that looks equally delicious and forbidden. While Callus proved to be a good leader both in conquest and in party planning, his closest advisors thought otherwise and staged an uprising against him known as the Midnight Coup, Great Hand Cannon. He is exiled to a massive planet-eating party ship known as the Leviathan and sent to the edge of nothingness. Dominus Gaul, 
a warrior who was in with Callus's advisors and the coup, proclaims himself as the new emperor and continues the Cabal conquest. Meanwhile, Callus, now exiled and adrift in a vast abyss of nothing, finds nothing. And I say that with a capital N. The Void consumes and reveals to him something that inspires the once great emperor to continue exploring the galaxy and retake the empire. Hmm. That's such a cheeky uh <laughs> bit ominous. <laughs> think uh think you might want to keep a bookmark here in your head. I have a feeling Callus might come into play at some point. Oh yeah, no. I mean, if you haven't seen the most recent uh Bungie live stream that revealed, you know, some really cool things, then uh maybe you're in the dark about this. But <laughs> if you've seen it, then you probably know what we're talking about. And this actually brings us to the golden age. Finally, we can start talking about ourselves, the moment that I've been waiting for. The Traveler has made its way across the universe and has found itself in the soul system. Humanity detects the Traveler as it enters our solar system and finds that it is terraforming our planets. We decide to launch a mission to make contact with it on Mars, and this first contact kicks off the golden age, baby! With the Traveler gifting humanity vast knowledge, lifespans triple, Technological advancement skyrockets, and humanity takes to the stars to start colonizing the solar system. We build our first off-world colony on the moon, and with the assistance of a man named Clovis Bray, more on him later, uh, we develop a full-blown city named Freehold on Mars. Research teams led by Clovis Bray also discover some mysterious technological ruins on Venus that belong to the Vex, and decide this would be a great place to set up a massive research facility. These are known as the Ishtar Collective and the Ishtar Academy and will be home to many Vex shenanigans throughout time. Our boy Clovis Bray is also developing war mines that are unfathomably advanced AI that act as a planetary defense against extraterrestrial threats. But those really shouldn't be an issue, right? We have no indication that there's extraterrestrial threats other than this giant ball that has appeared in our solar system, but it's friendly. Anyways... This war mind that Clovis Bray has created is named Rasputin, and he is Russian. He likes ballet and presumably vodka as well. Meanwhile, researchers on the moon are unearthing a lot of really cool stuff as well. Some are discovering massive tunnels in the subsurface created by the hive that suggest that maybe they've been dwelling here for a while, but none of them live long enough to tell anyone about it, so it really doesn't matter. Others are discovering a strange object of extraterrestrial origin called the K1 anomaly that seems to impart adverse psychophysiological effects on anyone in proximity. This usually included insomnia and demented hallucinations, but not all is as bad as it seems. During one particular bad bout of insomnia, one of the researchers had a breakthrough in the development of interstellar drive technology, which enabled space travel. Very wonderful for us. Super now, cool. Super cool. Now, remember how I mentioned Clovis Bray earlier? Well, he's still going, baby. He and his family of super nerds are creating intelligent nanobots known as SIVA, and it's going to help colonize the furthest reaches of our galaxy. He's also having a little one-on-one -on -one time with the K1 anomaly, and it's telling him to go to Europa. He decides, hey, there's no way this could be a bad idea, and he heads to Europa to build the Deep Stone Crypt. It is here that he founded the EXO program, where human consciousness is transferred into synthetic bodies aptly called EXOs. 
Clovis Bray and his family will have an entire episode dedicated to them, but just know that even though this man is a genius and has contributed a lot of cool stuff to humanity during the Golden Age, he is also a narcissistic psychopath who is being influenced by both his exposure to the Vex and his exposure to darkness-related relics that are in his possession. Keep that in mind. Anyways, massive colony ships are being launched off of Earth from the Cosmodrome to even more planets in an attempt to colonize places beyond our own system. One such ship, the Exodus Black, is carrying a cache of SIVA and a boatload of civilians, and they're going to go build a colony in Kepler-186. Unfortunately, they're intercepted by the Vex-inhabited planetoid known as Nessus and crash land. Those who survive the crash are quickly annihilated by Vex forces, leaving only one survivor. The ship's AI that we know as Failsafe. Sad times. You know... Failsafe does seem really sad when you find her on Nessus. And then when you find out why, you're kind of like, I guess you're allowed to be depressed. Yeah. I mean, that and, uh, you know, the split personality thing. However, we can't let a minor setback ruin a good thing. So despite that tragedy, humanity is still prospering. Various in-game quotes and grimoires suggest that this age of prosperity lasts for a few centuries at least. And it's not just humanity that's busy, because the Traveler has been terraforming and sets its eyes on Io as its next destination, and begins working its magic until... The Collapse. Rasputin, our war mind, detects the sudden arrival and rapid approach of something outside of our solar system. Recognizing this entity as a threat, it begins to create a plan for its attack and takes control of the planetary defense network. But Rasputin wasn't the only one who caught wind of an invader, because the Traveler, recognizing that this intruder is its ancient enemy, the Darkness, abandons its passion project on Io and flees back to Earth. Rasputin attempts to use humanity's Golden Age weaponry to take down the mysterious threat, but to no avail. The darkness and its black fleet of pyramid ships quickly makes its way through the solar system, using gravity-altering weapons to destroy any human colonies in its path. Realizing that there was no way for humanity to effectively fight this threat, Rasputin calculates that it is best to guarantee the survival of humanity rather than reduce the number of human casualties, and begins to make some morally questionable decisions to achieve this goal. A great account of both the assault on Titan and Rasputin's cold decisions to protect humanity can be found in the last days on Kraken Mar lore book. Truly, honest to God, an incredible read and highly recommended. Rasputin, also realizing that the Traveler may try to flee Earth as it had done to so many planets before, enacts a measure known as Abhorrent Imperative, where it prepares to fire upon the Traveler should it attempt to leave thereby coercing it into a pseudo-altruistic defensive action. However, this doesn't happen. Instead, the Traveler decides to stay and fight for both Earth and humanity. Maybe we will uh, <clears throat> get into some hotly debated conversation about this in an episode where we really go over this more uh, in depth, because, yeah, I remember when this... Uh, first came out these like lore tabs about this people were totally unsure about whether the the like Rasputin actually fired on the traveler whether he didn't why the traveler would stay and honestly i feel like we still don't know we don't have an answer here's the thing is we actually 
do have an answer. I was going to say that this was probably one of the most heated lore-related debates in Destiny probably since its beginning. Um, everyone had created these theories that Rasputin had fired upon the Traveler, which is why when you see the Traveler in Destiny 1, it's in this like shattered state. Uh, there's no real uh, account of the darkness you know having a direct hit on the traveler so a lot of people theorized based on these defensive actions that rasputin had actually fired on the traveler and that was the only reason that it stayed interesting but we don't actually have any indication of why the traveler stayed though we kind of do the Unveiling lore book describes a wager between the light and the dark that will prove once and for all whose philosophy is correct. We also know from the Dreams of Alpha Lupi lore that the Traveler was sick of running and was choosing Earth as the place that it would stand its ground, fight, and win. And thank God it did, because Rasputin has run through every possible outcome of this event in his calculations and comes to the conclusion that defeat is inevitable. With this, he enacts Yuga Sundown, and shuts down to protect itself, leaving billions of humans to perish at the hands of the darkness and the Black Fleet as the collapse begins. Some colony ships from the Exodus program attempt to flee Earth and escape the chaos, but are unsuccessful. All seems lost and humanity's extinction certain until the Traveler sacrifices itself to stop the darkness and push it out of the soul system. This great repulsive force destroys some of the pyramids and causes others to crash into the surrounding planets. One of the colony ships attempting to flee the system, the Exodus Green, is caught between the collision of these two paracausal forces and pulled into a pocket dimension known as the Distributary. It is here that the civilians on board the Exodus Green are turned into what we call the Awoken. With its dying breath, the Traveler creates the ghosts to seek out those who can wield its light as a weapon and fight against the darkness. This, uh, this time period is incredibly important for the future. I mean, we still don't have a lot of information about the collapse. I mean, we have different accounts here and there that, of course, we'll get to once we really talk in depth about the collapse. But I have a feeling that with the upcoming Lightfall expansion, we are going to get a lot of information about what a collapse looks like. Oh, absolutely. Even now with, you know, Season of the Plunder, we're kind of starting to get pieces here and there that are tying the collapse together and giving us like a better understanding of what actually went down. Because up until this point, uh, we really haven't known a ton we got a little bit of information in the black armory papers but other than that we just kind of knew that it was a pretty turbulent time and things weren't looking good and that's really and that's really all we knew well also Cade uh Cade's diary that uh does that come with destiny 2 vanilla the legendary edition yes I remember but yes we get some really interesting information too from Cade's perspective in this uh like pseudo lore book yeah no truly we do and that's actually one kind of like out out of game lore book that i'm not entirely familiar with that's one that i definitely have to read it's one that i cherry pick like when i need information from it i go and get it but i haven't actually read it in its entirety 
But how do you follow up the collapse, honestly? How do you follow it up? Well, I'm glad you asked, because what we follow it up with is the Dark Ages. Very aptly named. Like the Elixni after the whirlwind, humanity is ravaged by the collapse and in shambles. It is a time of vast suffering and terrible evil. Survivors band together in secret enclaves in an attempt to survive, while some of the Awoken leave their pocket dimension and return to Earth to find the planet decimated and the Traveler completely dormant following its sacrifice. Things are not looking good for humanity, and they're about to get a lot worse. Remember how I mentioned that the Elixni, who I will now be referring to as the Fallen, had left their planet in pursuit of the Great Machine, their god who had abandoned them? Well, they found it, and they want it back. They begin looting and pillaging what is left of humanity following the collapse and slaughtering those who are defenseless. To make matters worse, the Cabal's conquest has coincidentally led them to our solar system as well, just in time to join the party. Luckily, they decide to set up shop on Phobos and exploit the natural resources on Mars, presumably before coming to kick our ass, which buys us a little bit of time. Even more lucky for us, they discover some ancient Vex technology on Mars, and the Vex are super defensive about it. The Cabal don't know this, but the Vex are defending a portal to somewhere known as the Black Garden. More on that later. Anyways, the Cabal and the Vex go to war and occupy each other without any outside influence for pretty much the entirety of the Dark Ages. Now, I feel like we're missing somebody here. We're missing a major player here. All right, mm. the Hive. How could we forget? Their forces are beginning to invade the moon and establish their base of operations known as the Hellmouth. Cool. Glad everyone could join us to kick us while we're down. This would be an incredibly convenient time for the ghosts that were created by the Traveler to start resurrecting some light bears that will protect humanity, right? And it is. The first light bears selected to wield the light are brought back from the dead and given the power of the Paracausal. These are known as the Risen. Unfortunately, they become ruthless warlords. With the gift of immortality and seemingly infinite power, the warlords establish tyrannical rule over the survivors of humanity, offering them protection in exchange for worship. Why does humanity always choose violence first? Every single time. Every I'm single to think, time. <laughs> I'm starting to think maybe they should have been wiped out, maybe. You know what? I think the darkness was right. And you know what? You, you're, we're going to see this pattern repeat several times throughout before we even get to destiny one you're gonna see like humanity you know get beat up and then they're gonna unite together and they're gonna be like we're gonna we're gonna survive this and we're gonna build something and then they start fighting again and it's like man we never learn ever. maybe the traveler should have just dipped honestly i would have i would have uh expected it but you know. i i would have expected it too i would have been like wow these bald apes suck <laughs> here we are though you know Different timeline, are. different universe, different bald apes, different or bald same, apes. same bald apes as the ones we got in real life. You know, they also choose a lot of violence, but uh, not everyone is happy living under the iron fist of demigods and not every light bearer sees this as the way that humanity should be living. Despite the near annihilation of humans across the earth and the future looking bleak, some of those blessed by the traveler envision rebuilding humanity without the tyranny of the warlords. A few of these light bearers, Namely, Lord Radagast, Lord Saladin, and Lady Yolder band together to end the reign of the Warlords and establish an order known as the Iron Lords. 
the Iron Lords vow to protect humanity and begin picking up more light bearers to join their crusade as they liberate human settlements. Some warlords, however, are convinced that the Iron Lords are doing the right thing and switch sides voluntarily. Growing tired of the fighting and the violence, an exo-warlord named Felwinter joins the Iron Lords and gives them the mountain that he resided on as a base of operations. This is Felwinter's peak, by the way. Felwinter is an incredibly complex character. He seems to have some sort of affinity to Rasputin, but neither he nor his fellow Iron Lords know the extent of this connection. We are 100% going to be doing an episode on Felwinter because not only does he already have a lot of existing lore, I have a feeling that the next season, season 19? Season 19, yeah. Season 19, I think we're going to be seeing a little bit more of Felwinter. Really? You think so? I think we might see a little bit more lore regarding Mm, Felwinter. Interesting. I I don't know if I'm expecting that. Well, I guess we're going to see. Anyways, the Iron Lords continue their crusade across the barren lands of post-collapsed Earth, engaging in massive battles to free any non-light-bearing civilians, even if these civilians become collateral damage in the process. The Iron Lords believe that the freedom of many outweigh the lives of the few. But not all believe in the doctrine of the Iron Lords or the Warlords and decide to go rogue or drift, so to speak. I hate you. (laughs) You know where that's going. I know where it's going. Around this time, rumors begin to spread that there is a band of survivors developing a safe haven beneath the Traveler, and those who manage to survive the collapse and the conflict between the Iron Lords and the Warlords make their way to this sanctuary. It is here that the first Lightbearers, who now refer to themselves as Titans, pledge to defend the refugees that are gathering to the Traveler, forming the Pilgrim Guard. Word of this new bastion of safety continues to spread, and humans, Awoken, and Exos alike migrate from far and wide to the Traveler, where construction begins on humanity's first post-collapse city. Enter the City Age. Just a quick note on this. This is a fairly content-heavy age of Destiny that contains a lot of lore. I won't be able to go into massive detail for each event, but future episodes that are centered around these important moments will allow us to do them justice and tell these stories the way they deserve to be told. For now, though, I'll briefly mention them to give you an idea as to how they fit into the timeline. How do you feel about that, Sav? Yeah, are you okay I mean- with this? That makes sense. There is just so much in this this era. There, there's, there's too there's, much. Yeah, there's just like there's side stories. There's like our story that starts to happen. Kind of, you know, the the building up of of civilization again, as it were. So there's there's just too much to go over. In I one, know. Uh, small timeline here. And it's. It's even more. It's just funny because I feel like in D1, we were like, man, I wish we had more lore. And now we have too much lore. The timeline is becoming too too heavy. You're right. There's never too much lore. I take it back. I can't believe I even said that. How, How could you? How could I? Okay. Let's get going on the city age. So the last city, as we know it today in the game, is being constructed by the survivors of humanity. Not everyone agrees on how this new sanctuary should be governed, and power struggles between various political factions begin to escalate into violent conflicts known as the Faction Wars, as if humanity hasn't had enough war and violence already. See how I said this would be a repeating pattern? 
Yeah, yep, there it is. Uh, that there was like, is. what, five minutes ago we said that they were killing each other, so we're back. They're like, you know what this, uh, you know what these people could use? A good civil war. Exactly. A man by the name of Rezel Azir rises above the chaos and unites the Risen, forming a faction of light bearers known as the Guardians. That's us. These Guardians quell the civil war and bring an end to the conflict before the last city is destroyed from the inside. In the aftermath, they establish the Consensus, a representative body through which all the factions can pursue their agendas peacefully and govern the last city. The Consensus is led by a man known as the Speaker, an enigmatic figure who claims he can commune with the Traveler. Hmm. But can he? But can he? Hmm. Does he understand why kids love the taste of Cinnamon Toast Crunch? a great question i'm pretty sure no i don't know but if but the traveler probably knows and the traveler would probably tell him it would definitely be one of the first questions i would ask and that's why you're not the speaker and that is why i'm not the speaker with the last city finally at peace hopefully for at least a little while now the number of light bearers within the ranks of the guardians begins to rise and construction continues the guardians are split into three factions titans warlocks and hunters. Titans are the guards of the city, sworn to protect all those within its walls. Warlocks are a covenant of space wizards who are infatuated with knowledge. Hunters are masters of stealth and exploration, patrolling the outskirts of the city and acting as recon. Remember how I mentioned that the moon had been invaded by the hive and they had essentially established rain over the entire lunar body? Well, they're looking to expand their conquest and set their sights on Earth. They begin sending cedar ships, which contain battalions of hive forces that sit dormant for centuries until the time is right for an invasion. Despite being relatively unbothered on the moon for a long time, this process has caught the attention of the last city, and now the Guardians are aware that the Hive are in the system. Speaking of the Hive, Toland, an esteemed and highly respected warlock, is exiled from the last city for his obsession with the Hive and their artifacts. Just going to leave that there as a little as a little tidbit for a future episode that we're going to do on Toland. But just know that kind of around this time, you know, the city's just getting going. Toland's already out. He's gone. After pillaging and slaughtering their way through the Dark Ages, the Fallen launch an attack on the last city in an attempt to reclaim the Great Machine. Four orders of titans, led by the Iron Lords, defend the city from six different approaches against the most strategic offensive that the Fallen have made since their arrival on Earth. They never falter, not even once. And what looked like certain defeat becomes a triumphant victory in what is known as the Battle of Six Fronts. After this victory, the Iron Lords go beyond the safety of the last city in search of technology and resources that may help them rebuild humanity. They stumble upon an old Clovis Bray research facility that had aided in the creation of SIVA, something that we had mentioned earlier. With the promise of a highly advanced technology that was created with the intent of building colonies, the Iron Lords set off in search of SIVA. Instead, what they find is the resting place of the warmind Rasputin, who awakens to find intruders in his domain. Because of the paracausal nature of the Risen, Rasputin does not recognize the Iron Lords as human and activates his defenses in retaliation. Given Rasputin's highly advanced nature, he kills all but nine of the Iron Lords. 
Recognizing that Siva can be weaponized to kill guardians, the remaining Iron Lords sacrifice themselves to contain Siva and entomb it within Rasputin's facilities. Lord Saladin is the only survivor who returns to the last city. Well, kinda, right? Like kinda, mostly, kinda. mostly the the last. At we this do point, know of one other. Who, at this point, this is what you're this is what you're supposed to know. Uh, I this see. is what this is what you're supposed to know. But yes, there is someone else who was able to escape uh, Rasputin's facilities and the threat of Siva. Someone who comes in a little bit later, towards the tail end of Destiny One. Now, this kind of brings us to a mid of the city age. And one thing I just want to say here is that there's a lot of there's a lot of events that happen here, but not all of these events are fully fleshed out. We just know that they happen during this time. And if I keep trying to explain them in detail, this podcast is going to get way too long. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to kind of go through it in bullet point form. And we can always refer back to this later if we need to. Bullet so, point time, baby. It's bullet point time, baby. So what's going on in the mid-city age? Well, we got the great Ahamkara hunt. What are Ahamkara? They're these like mystical wish-granting space dragons. You know, the Vanguard and uh, the last city decide that these are too powerful, and they're like, we got to get rid of these guys. So that's exactly what they do, and they hunt them to extinction, or so we thought. Rezal Azir, our man who had created the Guardians and helped quell the civil war that was growing during the faction wars, goes to the moon to search for the source of the hive cedar ships that are invading Earth. Here, he finds a hive wizard and her consort, an unnamed hive knight. He kills this knight and takes its chitin as a trophy, which is basically like its armor, its skin. You know, he like cuts it off. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna decorate my gun with this. Oh, fun. That However, can't possibly end bad. It can't possibly end bad. It really can't. But now we know that the Hive are a threat on the moon. So the Guardians launch a coordinated attack on the Hive and their lunar stronghold in an attempt to reclaim territory. Unknown to the Guardians at the time, though, an incredibly powerful Hive entity named Crota had been orchestrating the Hive's plans. Crota is the son of Oryx, who we had mentioned earlier. And while not as strong as his father is still the most powerful foe that the Guardians have faced thus far. Protoss successfully repels the assault and with his mighty sword lays waste to many, many Guardians in an event known as the Great Disaster. And that was the Battle of Mara Ibrahim, wasn't it? Yes. Now Oof. humbled by a, an absolute wash. It, was, it wasn't even a battle. The Vanguard orders a full retreat from the moon declares it off-limits in hope that the Hive will lose interest and refrain from invading Earth. Probably a good idea. I feel like that was good, though. You know, we got a bunch of uh, got a bunch of immortal guardians. Everyone's feeling, like, pretty high and mighty. And then you go and you get your ass kicked. I feel like nothing brings you back down to Earth like a good ass kicking. Oh, yeah. So around this time, this is also where there were some fire teams that decided to go back to the moon and attempt to avenge their fallen comrades. 
There was Ooh, a fire team. I know team. this one. Is this uh, is this uh, Eris Morn's fire team? This is. This is a fire team led by an EXO named Ariana 3. And Ariana 3 has a team of guardians known as Eris Morn, Vel Tarlo, Omar Aga, Sai Moda, and Toland the Shattered our boy who had been exiled from the city. Probably not a guy you want on your team, but he is really interested in the hive. So maybe this is a guy that you want on your team. Or is he? Or is it? The team is actually successful in killing Crota's physical form. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you're going to find out in the Books of Sorrow that once sure. you become powerful enough as a hive you you basically have you, you you get a plus one life you get a plus one exactly you get a plus exactly. one life well you actually have a plus many lives it's well we'll leave it there you know we'll leave just, it there just a you'll tease. get you'll get an idea of what's going on so they destroy his physical form but the hive are able to prevent them from killing killing him the Guardians try to flee the moon, but they are killed one by one until only one Guardian remains, Eris Morn. Eris Morn survives for years in the Hive Tunnels, unable to see and without a ghost. The only thing that Eris Morn has in her possession is an Ahamkara bone that she had gotten from the great Ahamkara hunt. She uses this bone to wish for vision so that she can see her way out of these hive tunnels. We will not know what this means until the first DLC of Destiny 1. But just know that Ahamkara bones or Ahamkara wishes in general always come with a bit of a monkey paw twist. We'll see how that went for Eris in the future. For those of you who are familiar with the Vault of Glass and the tragedy that occurred there, this is roughly the time that Kabir's fire team made it into the Vault of Glass. Again, this is very similar to the fire team that had gone to avenge Crota, where many of them are picked off one by one until only there is one survivor, Kabir, who creates the Aegis within the Vault of Glass, hoping that someone will be able to come in and stop the Vex threats within. Not going to go into too much detail there. Again, we're probably going to have to do an episode on that. Around this time, if you know who Andal Brask is, Cade 6... They're going on a hunt for Tanix, who's a fallen guy. Again, so much detail here. I just really, I really want to talk about this. I really do, but I can't. But they're, they're trying to figure out who the new Hunter Vanguard is going to be. And they make a deal and they go off to hunt Tanix. And Andal Brask ends up becoming the new Hunter Vanguard, which you think is because he's the winner of the bet, but it's actually because he's the loser. At this point, Osiris a guy that we know of in-game, but at the time we didn't really know a lot of about in D1. He also gets exiled from the city because he's kind of obsessed with the Vex and he's also obsessed with like the purpose of Guardians and the role and the nature of the darkness. This causes a lot of division. They don't like it. They get him out of there. Everyone's and he's reported, getting exiled. Everyone's getting exiled, man. You just ask a question and you get exiled. Like This is, this is terrible. You thought you had tyranny under the Warlords? Just wait till you get to the last city. <laughs> Truly. Uh, Ikora Ray, who we know in the game as the Warlock Vanguard leader, is the one who takes his place. At this point, the Battle of Twilight Gap occurs. We have the Crusades of Saint-14 against the Fallen. 
We have the Reef Wars. We even got the Exile of Petrovenge. Again, another one. They're, they're, they are out of there. That's so interesting. I don't even remember that being in the lore. Yeah, well, it's actually funny because uh, instead of being exiled from the last city, she gets exiled to the last city. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. It's yes. the opposite. It's the opposite. I just got man. bamboozled. Right when you thought you understood the lore, you actually don't. Around this time, the uh, consensus, who I had mentioned earlier, which was that representative body that was like governing the city in peace. Well, there was a faction in there known as the Concordat, and they decide that they are going to stage a coup against the consensus, and they fight a battle against new monarchy at a place called Bannerfall. Bannerfall is a place within the tower. You've seen the map, blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyways, they get defeated. Their founder is ejected from the city. The vanguard and the speaker decide that these guys, the factions, probably aren't the best idea to run the city just based on like the faction wars and the fact that there was like a coup. So they get rid of they get rid of the consensus altogether. And now the only people that are governing the last city are the vanguard and the speaker. Hmm. Now. A few more things before we get to the end of the episode. Just going to mention these ones out. These ones actually all take place really, really close to Destiny 1. Um, and I really, I've been saying this so much this episode, but this is because this is just the beginning of our podcast series. So there's so many episodes that we're going to be doing in the future. This is kind of where the whole thing with Rezel Azir and the campaign of Dredgen Yor takes place. This is a really cool story, one that deserves its own episode to do it justice. Um, but just know that right around this time is when this all happens. So there's already been a lot of stuff going on within the city. Uh, there's been a lot of <laughs> bureaucratic nightmares. Um, and now we have, I guess, what you could consider to be the tragedy of Rezal Azir. You, I guess you'd call it a tragedy. Yeah, it's like a tragedy, but it's also uh, kind of an epic, too. But it's also kind of an epic. It really details the rise of a character a in an attempt, hero. a different hero, in an attempt to destroy someone who was once great and has become corrupted. I'm not going to tell the story here, but just remember that Rezal Azir went to the Hive killed somebody and then took some pieces of them away with him as a trophy that might play into how this all goes down nah no way don't believe no me. way and finally we get to where the game actually begins this is where destiny one starts now we're most more than likely going to split this episode into two parts because i feel like we're already probably close to well over 40 minutes already in this episode and there are so many things that have happened since, you know, we began in Destiny 1 all the way to Destiny 2. So I'm going to leave that for a separate episode in Timeline Part 2. Again, I'd like to mention, if you are a lore expert who is listening to this right now and you have some serious beef with how I have, you know, laid out this timeline, just know that I, too, have some beef about how I laid out this timeline because I had to go really light on detail. I had to skip some things that I personally find very cool and important 
but aren't exactly pertinent to the overall story. I'm hoping that in future episodes, we will incrementally start to flesh out some of these, some of these events, and we'll be able to introduce even more ones. The purpose of this episode was essentially to build the foundation. Now we can start adding decor to it as we do future episodes. Thank you guys for listening to episode one of the World's Grave podcast, The Destiny Timeline Part 1. Part 2 will most likely consist of seasonal recaps that we do as separate episodes, but if we feel the need to compile it into a single episode, we will. Before we say our goodbyes, just a reminder to like this video and leave a comment if you enjoyed it or if you want to engage in some spicy lore-related discourse. Our next episode, as part of our introductory series, will be hosted by Sav and he will be teaching us all about the enemy races of Destiny. I wish you the best of luck because, like the timeline episode, I imagine there will be a lot of detail to sift through. Again, thank you for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure to do this not only for you guys and Sav, but also for myself. See you next time on episode two.